electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations. Futures slightly weak, but off the overnight lows as another 2.4 million Americans file for unemployment. Down slightly from last week, but now totaling 38.6 million since mid-March. A lot of retail earnings to watch. We'll get to BJ's Best Buy, Macy's and more. And then oil. Above 34 as the reopening drives demand. Jim, you just said to Joe that the reopening is working. And even companies like Ford that might have to send a few workers home uh, on a given day are finding ways to adapt. Yeah, look, things are a little better. Uh, this is the depression taken off the table. A lot of people seem surprised when you get an Expedia number where they say that there's a little more travel. And uh, a lot of people seem surprised when uh, Best Buy is able to do a pretty good job doing curbside pickup. And people turned out to be a lot more inventive. We heard that from Brian Cornell yesterday, and he'll be on the show tonight. Marvin Ellison uh, from Lowe's talking about being inventive. Facebook being inventive. A lot of people are trying have figured out a new way to do business in a pandemic. And I think it's surprising because we didn't think it could occur. Uh, I'm not predicting some sort of GDP revival, but I think that ingenuity is playing a big role in this particular moment when it comes to the pandemic. I do want to get quick to uh, some home building because there's some numbers out that 41 percent of the homes sold in the last four weeks actually saw a bidding war. That's all post-COVID activity. And and Ellison did talk to you about home building uh, last night. Stay quick. Listen. The housing market is very healthy. You, you don't have a bubble. There's no excessive home price appreciation. There's actually a shortage of homes, and there's probably the largest percent of, of aging homes in the market than we've seen in the last 40 years. That's good for home improvement. It's good for housing. But the other thing that's really important for us is customers want to spend money where they have choices and where they have options. That certainly explains so their comp this week. Yep. I mean, look, it is just there are so many different forms of this recession that took us by surprise. And one of them was we figured, well, there's the housing is going to roll over and housing. It's the opposite, whether it be from Home Depot or whether it be from Lowe's. It's pretty clear that there's not only no housing recession, but there's a shift in some places out of the city into the suburbs because of a belief that the city is a more dangerous place health wise. Uh, but this is this is very robust, uh, just like we're going to end the health care recession when we're starting to open up these ancillary uh, health uh, units that had been closed because everything was con- concentrated on covid. So there are issues. There are areas in the economy that are coming back fast because they were never that bad housing. Uh, autos not clear. Uh, and then we just have small business. And uh, David, I, I know this is a crusade for me now at this point, small business, because uh, we, we're in New York. We have no idea whether the PPP is going to last between when Blasio and, and Cuomo figure things out. I mean, New York is proving to be uh, the epicenter of nothingness. 
And I listened to Andrew talk about how maybe if we were doing this show, I don't know, let's pick a city, Milwaukee. Maybe we were thinking, what the heck is going on in New York? Because the answer is a whole lot of nothing. Well, listen, New York has been the hardest hit, as you know, what over the city itself, I think over 20,000 deaths. Is that right? Yeah, we we can't forget that, Jim. And uh, there is a uh, there are it's we got to hit all seven of the metrics to allow for the opening. I think New York is at four of those seven, although quite close in terms of hospitalizations or hospital beds available and ICU beds available, very close percentage wise. So it may not be as far away as you think. But it is certainly behind much of the country. Uh, It is still a major economic center for the overall country. And listen, California also still not really fully open at this point, although far, far closer to that. And they don't have anywhere near the number of cases that New York State and New York City did. No, they're one fifth of the country. Carl, there were some pretty good numbers out of Starbucks just now released at about... uh about 34 minutes ago, that, that are ahead of ex- expectations. Uh, expectations were raised at the previous, I, I have to be careful on the wording here, they, they had an aggressive series of targets that they raised when they reported, and I think a lot of people felt that maybe those are, couldn't be reached, but they are being reached, and I think that this is, uh, again, a sign that people are, there's activity. There's a pulse where there was no pulse. And I think a lot of people were betting against the market or were saying that, that, that hell was going to be unleashed. What was Ackman's phrase? I don't know. It was like all oh, hell. It was some sort of, I, I, I don't know, whatever it was. I think but it, it was, was definitely, the end of America as we know it. Right, right. Yeah, it was a, a special Netflix uh, series that he's got, his eight-part series. Uh, but I, I do think that you've <laughs> got to be encouraged by what's going on because people are going out and they're shopping and they want to shop. They like shopping at the curbside, by the way. They love contactless. They love it. I mean, that's what we saw from Target. They, you know, they love pulling up and having someone put their stuff in their in, in their uh, trunk. And they like that for dinners. They like it for when Chipotle comes to your house. But uh, the one thing that they don't have are small businesses that are opening their doors, gyms, haircuts, whatever. Uh, those are slow to open. And that's that's the real world. You know, the real world is not the uh, big exactly, box store, you know? Yep. Exactly, Jim. Seems like we come back to this theme right away every morning. The headlines about Starbucks here over the last week regaining 60, 65 percent of prior year comps in the U.S. But small business is a story that uh, remains out there. And actually, you talked with Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook about it uh, just last night. Take a listen. This is not just a health crisis. This is an economic crisis, and it's a crisis for small business. Small businesses create two thirds of the jobs in this country. And I know that's why you're so focused on them, and that's why everyone should be. We put out a report this week, the State of Small Business Report, which says that 31% of small businesses have stopped operating entirely, and another 11% believe if things don't change, they will go under as well. And this is the worst number. Half of small business owners don't believe they're going to be able to rehire the people that they had to let go. Astonishing. Jim, I know that everybody should look at that report, but we know it's important to you in particular because because uh, you're a small business owner yourself. Yeah, I think that I, I've been following this uh, this Facebook sh- uh, really uh, an amazing shift to 
representing the interests of the millions of people who actually read Facebook, but the, you know, a couple million businesses that are very that Facebook can really help. Obviously, yes, Facebook is the, it's, it's reciprocal altruism. If they start doing more uh, business, maybe they'll do some ads with Facebook. Nothing's done out of the good of anybody's heart and business. But I would say that when you look at what Shopify is doing with Facebook, what they're saying is, OK, look, we know that you're being squeezed small business. We know that your rents aren't coming down. We know that brick and mortar is in real trouble. Here's an outlet for you to make some money. Here's an outlet that's going to keep you alive. And I think it is like that. I, I don't think people realize that when we when these companies were deemed non-essential, it was almost as if they were deemed uh, the right to be able to fend for themselves. Uh, but good luck. Uh, it wasn't a death warrant. But I, I look at when you're deemed non-essential and the big store next to you is deemed essential, you're done. You're done. Yeah. You're not going to be able to compete. You, you've made the point as well, Jim, and we've discussed it, of course, with the S&P, as we just saw uh, at its highest level since March 6th, down 8% for the year, beginning trading this morning at 29.71, that there is a divergence between the real economy, the one you're just describing there, made up of so many small businesses who may not be able to make it or may not be able to hire back as many people as they had previously, and the stock market, which doesn't seem reflective of the challenges that are being faced by those businesses. But eventually, given we are a consumer-led economy, one would have to believe if you don't get employment again at the levels that it was at least near before this crisis began, that that will have an impact on the overall economy and on those companies that we do follow so closely that make up so much of the S&P. Well, it should. I mean, let's take what happens if colleges don't return to the way that they they were. And uh, you your whole business is involving a college town uh, and, and you're and your McDonald's, and your Wendy's, frankly. Right. I mean, at a certain point, they have those same store sales have to go down uh, their business. Those franchisees can't do as well. There those are real franchisees and agglomeration as a company of McDonald's. Theoretically, their numbers will get hurt. Uh, I guess what's happened is, is that they have balance sheets and they have balance sheets. And so therefore, money managers want to buy their stocks. They're looking through whatever's happening to another moment in time that's going to be better. And I don't want to look through it yet. But you know that there's whole parts of this country and maybe fund managers parts of this country. You say, look, this is an interregnum. In another seven months, everything's going to be so much better. Well, the vaccine or this illness is going going away. I have no choice. I believe small businesses will come back. These businesses will do fine. I think these businesses could do fine. But small business coming back. I don't know how it happens. They have wiped out. So many of them got wiped out. Done. Unless Cheryl Sandberg's survey is yeah. wrong. I think she's got the best survey. They have, they have great contacts. Right. Well, they do. And they rely on those as well, as does Google to a certain extent for, for their advertising. Yes. So they should have a sense for it. Look, it's, yeah. it, it's somehow uh, we feel optimism because stock prices are up versus 1929 when the stock prices directly represented America. These these companies, I mean, when you see the stocks that are up, uh, you looked at the semiconductors yesterday. They're Chinese. Okay, those are companies that are relying on the comeback in China, which in some places is aggressive. Mondelez was on last night. Why are their numbers coming back? Because the the Chinese are snacking more than ever. You can see the the tension between President Xi and President Trump because the Chinese numbers are extraordinary. Now, I know that there's some people who do uh, satellite projections that show that the Chinese aren't going out as much at, at night. But 
Chinese, these companies that we see that are in the most green right now, that is China coming back, not the United States coming back. China's right. more so important. Is that, Although, is that what our future is going to be? Is talking, that about, uh, talking about China every morning and all the signals that we're getting out of China to try and determine what the S&P is going to do? Kind of, yeah. I mean, look, we're shutting down their stocks. Got to rely on something. You see, yeah. David, I mean, look, I'm, I'm yeah. well, a lot, they make a lot of things. We haven't man. done it yet. No, but they we make, haven't done it yet. But no. you saw this. You saw this Reuters story that Baidu is considering. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't speak to it other than the headline itself that says Baidu is considering. Good you know, what, delisting David, from the Nasdaq. David, you know what? It's too early to get long locking. <laughs> I think that was delisted or is about to be. Yeah, that was a good one. Right. Locking. Thank you. Thank you for that one, too, Mm -hmm. Mr. President Xi. Uh, Guys, got a lot to get to. We haven't really touched on some of the retail numbers. A bunch of upgrades, uh, initiation of Boeing with a buy over at RBC. Uh, Some comments out of the CDC about what's going on in Brazil and whether or not uh, that portends a spike for us when we finally do get to winter. A lot more still to come when Squawk on the Street comes back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back. Safety is in focus as companies around the world race to develop new vaccines. Meg Terrell joins us. She's got to look at where risks in this all can come into play. Good morning, Meg. Good morning, David. Vaccines, of course, are a special candidate of medicines because you're giving them to healthy people. So the bar for safety has to be extremely high, especially when you're talking about a pandemic, when hundreds of millions of people, or maybe billions, will be getting these vaccines. The main safety event that experts are on the lookout for is what they tell me right now, a theoretical risk, not one that they've observed with any of these vaccines in the very early data they've seen so far. Uh, It's what's known as immune enhancement. The idea that a vaccine could actually make the infection worse. This is something that we've seen before with the dengue virus. If people have been infected with one strain when they encounter the next, uh, that previous, the antibodies to the previous strain can actually make the infection worse. We've also seen immune enhancement with vaccines for RSV in the 1960s. And the problems from that delayed development of vaccines for RSV for 30 years. So what kind of trials are needed to prove safety and make people feel comfortable taking these vaccines? Well, Ebola is a recent example of a vaccine that did this in an outbreak scenario. Not a perfect comparison, obviously very different diseases. This would be given for an outbreak versus uh, COVID being a pandemic. But look at the uh, ring vaccination there. That's the efficacy trial they did in about 3,500 people in an active outbreak situation. If you look at how many people they tested for safety, it was 15,000. The numbers we're hearing for COVID are even higher. AstraZeneca saying today it's planning a phase three in at least 30,000 people. We talked with Scott Gottlieb this morning on Squawk Box. Uh, And he gave some comments about what he's looking for in these large-scale trials. Here's what he said. 
There's going to be a lot of pressure to try to license these vaccines early or make them available under an emergency use authorization based on immunogenicity data, data showing it produces antibodies in people and maybe some early um, safety data. I think we need to do big clinical trials here. We need to make sure we go through a proper development uh, pathway to give people confidence into taking these vaccines. And when you look at um, vaccine trials, typically there are tens of thousands of patients. So guys, a massive challenge here, ensuring safety in such a short period of time will require very large studies. Back to you. Yeah, that's, a, that's an important point, one that's been made to me as well by a number of people who know their way around these things, Meg, just the size typically of the trials. But something else, of course, is manufacturing if and when we do get there. I know AstraZeneca has an announcement this morning uh, saying that they are at least are going to be in a position to make, what, a billion doses, I think it is, through 2020 and into 2021. That is what they are saying with this uh, billion dollar grant from BARDA, and they are already starting to guarantee those doses to different governments. Um, They initially put out a plan to guarantee the UK government 30 million doses by September. Uh, And now with this announcement today, with the BARDA support, they're guaranteeing 300 million doses to the U.S. government by October. And David, they're doing this uh, with only having seen data from monkeys so far. I mean, they expect to see the human data very soon. But the pace at which these things are going is amazing. Well, uh, first of all, you've been unbelievable. And the reporting is great. And getting the the chairman of Moderna yesterday was just uh, it, it, it was breathtaking because you got you, you finally got some perspective for what people was kind of like pandemonium out there. Uh, but this Dr. Dan Baruch is someone I spoke to. He's the head of Beth Israel Center for Virology and Vaccine Research. He's working with J and J. In many ways, I think that they are approaching this the most methodically. They have, uh, are injecting yes uh, primates finding out what can work and what can't work. But they're also simultaneously building the capacity to have literally billions and billions of vaccines. It's almost as if J&J is approaching this the way uh, militarily. Uh, It's a war and we're going to do it right and we're going to do it with the best things we have and we're going to do it big. And everyone else to me seems like, well, we're going to get it done. Uh, Do you think that I'm wrong in thinking that J&J has got a kind of a more of a uh, an all hands on deck approach? I don't think you're wrong that J&J's approach does appear different. I mean, for one thing, the timelines J&J is talking about are starkly different. I mean, they're not saying they're going to be in human trials until September, whereas this morning the AstraZeneca CEO told us he expects to have results from their phase three by September. So I'm very excited to get to talk about this actually in the 11 a.m. hour with Dr. Paul Stoffels, who heads J&J's research organization, about how they're approaching this. Oh, and good. you're right, Jim, they're also Total going about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're also going about this differently in terms of manufacturing, you know, striking these partnerships with emergent biosolutions, for example, which is, you know, one of the BARDA sites for manufacturing. And they're going to do more of these partnerships, too. So really an interesting approach to hear from them. Doing great stuff. Hey, Meg, uh, interesting poll out of uh, Reuters Ipsos today in which they find uh, nearly a quarter of Americans say they have no little or no interest in uh, taking a a COVID-19 vaccine. Do you expect pharma to try to convince people to get inoculated or let those people go since we know we're going to be supply challenged anyway? Well, if 75 percent of the population took the vaccine, that actually exceeds the rate that we would need for herd immunity, according to the estimates I've heard. You know, people talk about 60 to 70 percent. But that would be very high. Uh, If you look at the flu vaccination rates, they are not that high. 
But I've also talked with pharma about the anti-vaccination movement and their messaging around it. And for the most part in the past, they haven't really believed they're the best messengers on that. Uh, so it will be a public health message, uh, but obviously a very challenging one. Yeah, uh, fascinating. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the 11 as well, Meg. Uh, doing great work as always. Meg Terrell uh, on AstraZeneca today. Take a quick break here uh, as uh, futures continue to get closer to the flat line. All 11 sectors, by the way, back above their 50-day moving average. Back in a minute. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Watch Amazon today. Uh, got 2,500 now uh, pre-market as the journal's now saying that the company this week decided it will hold its annual Prime Day event in September. It's according to people familiar. The two-day event is normally held in July. We'll watch that. Back in just a moment. Let's get a mad dash with Jim here as we work our way through some of these retail numbers. Jim, like Best Buy's. Yes. Now, Best Buy, despite a Herculean effort that I thought was amazing, where they did almost as much business 81% of the business by curbside, as they pointed out uh, during the last six weeks of the quarter, even though not a single customer set foot in our stores, they still did a good number, but it wasn't good enough. Carl, people are concerned. The stock's down, looking at a couple bucks. They, they do these things. They get the sales, but are they making as much money? This is something that I'm going to bring up with uh, Brian Cornell tonight about Target. People are saying, hey, terrific, great. So these numbers are up 100%, 200%. But you know what? You're not making as much money as if people went inside the store. So that's what's what's hobbling Best Buy. I think they're creative and they did a good job, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your stock goes up. Right. Uh, it sort of brings to mind also what Macy said. I mean, a billion dollar loss preliminary yeah. uh, versus a $200 million profit a year ago. 
Uh, I mean, department stores are a different model, Jim, but and they even said demand was moderately higher than they thought it was going to be. Right. And they're still going to maybe close some more stores. I mean, I, I, look, I think the issue with Macy's, again, that is the big flagship store. You've got to have tourism. You've got to have a weaker dollar. I mean, there's just these things that just have, have continually worked against them. Uh, also, you need parking to be able to uh, pull up. Uh, that's an issue with Target. People were saying, hey, you don't have enough parking to do your pull-up strategy. Well, obviously, Macy pull-ups is, is uh, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult to do. Yeah, guys, so we mentioned, we mentioned uh, the Amazon uh, Prime Day delay a moment ago that the Journal's reporting. But the Journal's saying it's due to strains on the warehouses due to all the surging demand. Uh, Jim, that has shifted from some of these traditional retailers to online. I have to tell you, they are doing, after everyone looks at what Walmart's done this week, and we've seen now Best Buy, and we've seen Target, and we've seen Lowe's, we've seen Home Depot, and the answer is, the winner is Amazon, because they're able to make more money doing this because that's what they know how to do. Their fulfillment is excellent. Their advertising is terrific. They've had more business they can handle now ever since uh, the first week of March. Uh, they're just remarkable. Uh, and remember, they're spending $4 billion to try to keep their workers healthy. Uh, you'll see Ford has a couple lines go down because of, of COVID. I mean, these guys have, I know that there's Amazon, there's issues about certain lines where we know that there's COVID, but it's pretty seamless. They've done a great job. Uh, and I think that you're, you have to marvel. They've been doing this for a long time. They have the edge on everybody with the possible exception of Walmart when it comes to low-cost delivery. David's not there yet. Huh, Carl? I'm here. No, oh, I'm I thought here. He was I'm back. listening to you. I, oh, I thought you were I'm, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I was making a couple of calls, trying to check in on a couple of things that maybe we'll have a little booking, something booking off on. But, uh, booking the new hair. Booking the haircut there. Is Connecticut. <laughs> going to get a haircut they, next week. Get a haircut in Connecticut. Maybe? I may even come. I may even come see you actually in New Jersey there. Well, I'll give you, you know? a virtual high five. But David, you know, we're just talking about yeah. something you know better than anyone, which is that Amazon's low cost. Uh, model to get stuff to your house is better than everybody. After all the things we saw this week. Guys, uh, speaking of virtual, uh, this is the first, we're going to get the first significant virtual IPO at the big board today at SelectQuote, uh, the online insurance broker. We'll talk to the CEO when the company begins trading later this morning. At the NASDAQ, it's Walgreens Boots Alliance uh, ringing remotely in support of Red Nose Day by raising money to combat child poverty. Uh, floor is going to partially reopen on Tuesday, of course, Jim, but it's wow. nice to see at least a somewhat high-profile new offer. Yeah, it, again, it does feel like, it, look, some people are saying, do you think business is really normal? It, look, it's so not normal, but it's not a Potemkin village. It's not just a pretend normal. There is business being done. It's just that it's done at a, a level that it, it would <laughs> shock us three months ago. Select quotes a company that owns coming public. It's not just a uh, it's a business. Let's see how it does. I mean, look, when things were good, the last things we were getting through were Chinese IPOs and Smile Direct and uh, Casper, the uh, friendly ghost, which was actually a charge that Target had to take because they had an investment in Casper. Remember Casper? Right. But we know we know one of the biggest IPOs that was look, uh, that people were potentially looking forward to, maybe not until early next year, Airbnb, of course. And they've watched yeah. their business go from here to here. Uh, I've got the numbers written down here somewhere, but we know they're very bad, of course. And they were able to raise some money, of course, Airbnb, but the valuation there is dramatically lower. And there are a right. number of those big names 
Airbnb certainly one of the key ones, guys, that we expected we would see come public that have been hobbled as a result of the, of the crisis. Well, you're so right, David. Layoffs, 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 layoffs at Airbnb. The layoffs at Uber are shocking to me because they were divisions yeah. that I thought were going to be the way to be more than just a taxi company. And, and, and that's, what they're, yeah. that's what they're making smaller, which is not a good sign. It does not make you want to own the stock. Um, I know. Uh, I, I brought this up to you a couple of days ago after having read that letter from, from Dara Khosrowshahi, the company's CEO, discussing the additional 3,000 layoffs they would undertake. And it painted a fairly dire picture. Now, yes, granted, it, it was giving a reason as to why they needed to do this. But it, it did not read like a letter that would then result in the stock going up so dramatically. I understand it, investors are applauding perhaps efficiencies that are that are taking place or being forced on them, Jim. But at the same time, you do have to wonder longer term, yeah, not even long term right now about their business. You yeah. take away the ecosystem, you take away the, the, the multiple. I mean, that's really what's happening. The ecosystem is so great. Look, we're going to do free. We're going to have this whole way to be able to uh, monetize the gig economy. It's going to be terrific. Look at us. Look at us. We're fabulous. And now it's like, OK, we're a cab company and not bad. And I know I don't want that's I don't want to pay up for that. That's not what I wanted. You, you told me it was going to be something else. And now you're making it this thing. And that was not a reason to buy the stock. And just because. The, and then, yeah. look, maybe if they bought Grubhub, but then there was obviously some sort of wrangling over price. Somebody should agree to do something there. Uh, but no. I, right. Well, you know what? I can I can give you a little update on that. You have something uh, on Grubhub and. A little bit. I mean, not a great deal. We're talking very incremental, of course. But you're right in asking that question, remember, because we've been waiting. These things typically either go awry or get done. And we've been waiting here. They are still talking, from what I understand. Uh, and they are fairly close, uh, Grubhub and Uber, it would seem. But that doesn't mean you're going to get to a deal. I believe Uber is at least at a price of, of 1.9 of its shares for each share of Grubhub. I believe Grubhub has come down in their ask below perhaps two. So it sounds like the two sides, at least according uh, to people familiar with the situation, are getting quite close. However, uh, Mr. Khosrow Shahi, who I just mentioned, is uh, is pretty tough on these things. And it doesn't mean that they're going to get there uh, to get the deal done. But they have narrowed, it would appear, at least having spoken to people familiar with what's going on on both sides, that uh, they are narrowed that gap, Jim, in terms of price. It would be a fairly significant premium on the unaffected stock well, price I, yeah, that I we're think talking that, about. An all-stock deal, obviously. I think Matt Maloney is determined, the CEO of, of Grubbub, Mr. Grubbub, uh, is determined to make it so that the mo- that the average price that he's this, the price he sells it at is above the average price that a lot of people bought. He's a very passionate uh, pro shareholder, and he does not want to sell the company below where you know all the people who bought it at 70, 80, 90. And of course, the people who got very excited about it. Right. So I, uh, but, I, I respect Jim, him. He's it's, it's right out. By the way, yeah. It's this is Matt Dyer. I mean, this is not like Matt with like fifty thousand different people advising him. It's Matt. Right. Right. Understood. But let's let's not forget, as it, as it would be an all stock deal, there is the opportunity for Grubhub shareholders to participate in potential right. upside that would be created here. They are talking about, you know, not just cost synergies, but even potentially revenue synergies, at least to some extent. There is a question of antitrust if and when they do get to an agreement. They've given uh, their critics plenty of time to sort of amass potential opposition here. 
to, to the deal. It would bring together, obviously, two of the largest players in delivery, and there will certainly be some questions in terms of antitrust. Um, they're not there yet. They no, do okay, appear to be coming that close. That. That's great. No yeah. one said a thing about that, and you're right on top of that. That maybe that's uh, that is the most high-profile M and A right now because I don't think people realize it. But you're taking out. That's what you're doing. Is take out and delivery all over the country. And this is the ability to have a, c- a competitor DoorDash that I think you can pit against each other as a restaurateur. But I think other people would say, wait a second, you, you, just a couple of delivery companies. This and Postmates. It's going to be like ATT, Verizon, and uh, Sprint T-Mobile. Uh, all getting together right. and your bill's going to go up right now. By the way, DoorDash has uh, done a very nice thing and it has, has cut prices. Uh, 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 yeah. They've literally cut their fee in half to be able to keep it so that small businesses are staying alive. And that, that's a very big deal. Grubba, Grubba yeah. not um, no. And we're watching both stocks at least respond a bit positively again. You know, are they one nine and one nine five in terms of bid ask? That would seem to imply at least the possibility that they've got to figure out a way to get that done. But I've seen deals fall apart uh, with even lesser spreads. So you you just don't know. It's just minute to minute. You know, we were talking about Tuesday morning when I come in. Is this minute to minute? I mean, this could happen this weekend. Yeah. Listen, one day, one way or the other, they got You know, you can't let these things linger too long. So my guess is uh, that they will either get to a deal uh, or uh, or abandon soon. You can't. Wow. This has okay. been over a week now that it's been in the public realm. And you, you, you've got to uh, you can't let it go too long. Um, guys, we were talking about IPOs and, and, you know, we mentioned Carl mentioned, of course, the first virtual one taking place. And I mentioned Airbnb, not likely one beneficiary, though, of this um, period has been TikTok talking about Chinese IPOs. TikTok, uh, I mean, has taken off yet again. It's been straight up. This, I, I, I had pride in this name, Jim, because when I mentioned it to you a couple of years ago, you hadn't heard of it at the time. It's I was probably the only time I'd ever mentioned a company's name to you that you didn't actually know. I'm deeply flawed. Uh, it's now close to a $125 billion value. They're out in the market raising either debt or equity. It's unclear, but they're raising it right around a level of $125 billion at ByteDance, of course, the parent company, you know, the which may be based here and has hired Kevin Mayer as its new CEO. Say again. Fastest growing large company on earth. TikTok. Yeah. The, the, the owner. And by the way, David, the list of American owners of that is going to shock people. It's not as Chinese as people think. Heavy duty American ownership there in the actual No, structure. in fact, I know that they were they were you know they were talking about making their headquarters New York right. before the virus, at least, and talking to some potential candidates for the job. Who I had spoken to, Kevin Mayer ends up with that job, of course, the man who uh, who ran streaming at Disney. Uh, but they had been talking about making making sure they had a headquarters here in the United States in anticipation of some sort of a listing down the road, which would be enormous given the size and the success that business has had. People want a piece of that. I mean, that, that company is, uh, after you uh, pants me on it and didn't, you know, I didn't know it, uh, I've subsequently discovered that this is, it's the holy grail. I mean, we, this is the one that is, that's just getting all the, all the uh, plum and the growth uh, the numbers that I'm hearing about growth, David, are so staggering. I don't know another company that comes near their growth. Not one. It's, it's just on well, fire. Well, I can tell you, every teenage girl in quarantine is on TikTok. Uh, that is my own anecdotal evidence. Okay. From here. No reason to disagree with you. 
having revealed again that, <laughs> I, that I did not know it. That was very important. It was important to the story that you mentioned I didn't know it. Well, it was nice. It was a nice moment for me. And I, even though it was years ago, I still remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Carl? Well, mayor's, mayor's going to have an interesting uh, a baptism by fire. It's hard not to notice Josh Hawley's tweet upon uh, his, uh, his naming saying, I look forward to hearing from him under oath. Uh, so, yeah, TikTok's going to have an interesting uh, a few months here. Jim, we've got to touch on Boeing because RBC does initiate with the buy. They talk about, uh, in their words, many years of double-digit growth in passenger traffic, obviously coming off an extremely low base, 164 target. Uh, even as the TSA, Jim, today uh, rolled out some new guidelines for how their agents are going to inspect your bag, look at your driver's license, uh, pat you down while touching everything as little as possible. It's going to be a delicate balance. Yeah. And I, I mean, we got to stop with this taking temperature. I mean, obviously, the big problem is, is that for three days, you don't have temperature. They should use the blood oximeter. I have the Massimo device. The stock's been, been a horse. I truly like Boeing ever since they got that bond deal. If you go back in time, uh, Ray Dalio and uh, Bill, uh, Rain, you know, the Mr. Apocalypse, uh, Ackman, they both thought that Boeing couldn't raise the money. That was a big issue. They thought it couldn't raise the money. When they got that debt deal done, that was when we should have just said, you know what, you got to buy the stock because it is only a matter of time. A flight does always come back. It really does. Uh, And I do think that that uh, I know this is Mr. President, hold your ears, that China flight, China travel, if you allow them to come, it will be big. Because they're back and they're traveling. I know. We're, we're not. They are. Yeah. We're at home. They're uh, no, that, that, they go no, that out. debt deal will, will go down as being historic. It was um, amazing. Already May is now the, th- May is the third largest month ever for issuance. Um, uh, and that's, it's, it's incredible what's, what's happened in terms of uh, corporate issuance. But we'll watch Boeing. That's leading the Dow this morning. And speaking of which, let's get to Bob Bassani, see what's moving. Hey, Bob. Morning, Carl. Happy Thursday, everybody. Uh, we started negative and went into positive territory. There's real momentum behind the market. I just want to show you the uh, sectors. We had some decent reports on the retailers today. I mean, TJX, uh, they missed on their earnings, but the sales were well above expectations. The in- they took an inventory reserve, but comps were positive in the reopened stores. That stock's trading up about 7%. Energy's uh, doing well again. Tech's up. Industrials. Banks have even moved into positive territory, and that's been a lagger group. So again, this broadening out of the market that I keep talking about is happening again today. You look at the S&P 500, you know, we're approaching 3,000. Believe it or not, that's about the 200-day moving average. We haven't been above the 200-day moving average since the early part of March. I think it's 29.99 is what you want to watch there. And we're getting close on that. So Brett's been improving. The volatility has been declining. Credit's expanding. We've got oceans of liquidity out there. A lot of debate about the market multiple. Is it too overpriced or under undervalued? Uh, that's a legitimate question here. But remember what's moving the market. It's not crazy why the market's advancing. We're reopening. If you look at what's moving, uh, all 50 states right now, uh, we saw uh, the Fed's uh, backstop is very real, even though there's some f- fiscal gridlock in Washington. But Powell's very active. Uh, treatment for vaccine hopes are, are, are there. Uh, and new cases are declining. 
And there's a legitimate question, I think, about the valuation issue, whether we're overvalued or undervalued. That's a legitimate debate. Uh, Elsewhere, you heard David talking about uh, Baidu considering delisting. This is a a report on Reuters. We don't know if it's true or not, but it's not having a dramatic effect on the stock. In fact, it opened down and is now trading on the upside. But there's a lot of issues going on here with China and the U.S., and this is sort of getting uh, dragged into this whole thing here. We've had um, Senate legislation that might ban uh, many Chinese companies from listing on U.S. exchanges uh, or raising any money. Uh, we've had other things here. Uh, we've had NASDAQ considering tightening. They are tightening their listing requirements for IPOs. Uh, we've, the SEC has repeatedly said they're frustrated with China regulators over the inability uh, of the regulators here to inspect the audit papers of U.S. listed Chinese companies. So there's a whole stew of issues uh, that are affecting all of this. Very complicated. Uh, Alibaba, by the way, reporting tomorrow. We'll keep an eye on that. Finally, we have an IPO at the New York Stock Exchange. It's a virtual IPO. It'll be manually open. My buddy Pete Giacci over at Citadel will be doing that from his house today. But it's a well-known name, Select Quote. Everybody knows this company. They do a lot of advertising, insurance policy comparison website here, and they upsize the whole thing. Uh, their price talk was 17 to 19. They're doing $20, and they've expanded the shares uh, out there. So by any stretch of the imagination, uh, this looks like a successful opening for an IPO. Keep an eye on that right now. Positive territory. Guys, back to you. All right. Uh, thanks, Bob. Let's get to Rick Santelli as well, uh, who brought us those uh, another tough print on jobless claims this morning. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. And indeed, what, while we're waiting for the market services and uh, manufacturing PMIs, we can look at an intraday of tens, as Carl pointed out. You know, the data this morning wasn't shocking and it wasn't hugely surprising, but it was still not very good. Uh, when we look at initial claims, of course, at two point. 438 million continuing claims over 25 million. You can see an intraday chart of tens. The way the market was a slow burn. You saw it right after the data was released, yields started to taper off a bit. Now, granted, the move wasn't big, but if you open the chart up to March, none of the moves lately have been big. The long end is consolidating. You could say there's an upward drift towards three quarters of one percent, but it is really tight. Now, we have market uh, coming out, the PMIs. These are made preliminaries. Uh, and if you look at the Manufacturing component, it's 39.8, and that's versus 36.1, which was the all-time low. And if we go to services, 36.9, and that's versus 26.7, which was an all-time low. And finally, the composite at 36.4. So this series has only been around since 2017, but you get an idea. Like much of the data, it's not good, but it certainly has improved for some of the worst-case levels that we experienced in March and April. Now let's get back to the charts. We know that the Fed is into the corporate space now. High yield uh, is one of the issues that have made some nervous. Now let's look at two ETFs. HYG, that's the high yield. LQD, that's investment grade since March 1st. Put them both on the same chart, and you can see they clearly have improved, even with very little heavy lifting by the Fed, of course. And when we look at the security side versus the ETF side and look at Barclays investment grade and high yield on the same chart as well, you can see, boy, they have really become much more well-behaved from well over 1,000 on high yield to about 720 basis points over. And on investment grade, you can see it's now under 200 over. So these are good improvements that represent real progress. We had Johnny Fine from Goldman saying, you know, there's a lot of activity in that investment grade space of historic uh, proportions with regard to how many companies are tapping and how investors seem pleased to get involved. And finally, let's look at the euro versus the dollar. This is a chart going all the way back to April 1st. You can see we're really bottom.
bouncing around 110. That's a 200-day moving average. Let's see if the euro currency can pop to the upside here. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you for that. We'll watch uh, the impact of that data. Take a quick break here. Uh, Boeing is leading the Dow now up almost 6.5%. It's really only a uh, three-week high here, but it's the first crack above the 50-day since February 21. President travels to Michigan this afternoon to visit a Ford auto plant. The plant does have a policy of wearing a mask. In an open letter, the attorney general of Michigan is urging him to, quote, respect the great efforts of the men and women at Ford and across the state by wearing a facial covering. AG goes on to say the president has a, quote, legal responsibility under state law to wear a mask. Uh, Jim, the mask might be interesting to some. More interesting, though, is uh, from a productivity standpoint, how these plants are faring and what kind of additional costs they may be facing as they try to keep workers separate. Yeah, that, uh, I was thinking, I mean, this is, you can talk about how Best Buy is a problem, people not going in the store. I mean, here's a problem. Can you go on these assembly lines? This is, was a little like what, what happened, obviously, uh, with Tyson. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, this could actually be, this may not be a smooth meeting. <clears throat> I mean, this, this could be a tense meeting. Uh, I don't think he wants to wear a mask. Ford's not doing that well. Uh, the ventilators, I don't know. The president I was never really that happy with how uh, what went on with GM. I don't know. This could be some fireworks. Uh, it's worth watching. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I mean, look, when, when Pence went to Mayo Clinic, uh, which is probably the place that you most that everyone needed to wear a mask and then didn't wear a mask, he actually had to apologize. He actually said that he should have worn one. So, you know, here we are with yeah, this yeah. issue that I think the president is pushing everywhere, which is that reopen. I think he does not respect necessarily what a mask can do for the other person, which is why you shouldn't principally wear the kind of mask that we wear in America, which is to not get somebody else sick. And uh, he has been a role model for people who think that masks are for sissies. I put it All out right. there. But we should also... We should also keep in mind the idea of what exactly the cost is going to be of maintaining social distancing in these kinds of plants and whether you can continue to have the same rate of efficiency that you had previously when people are further apart, when they're not able to work in the same fashion, when you have to provide them all PPE and go through these things, not to mention the fact that they had a Shut a couple of them down already, right. right? Because they had the cases. It's not a Lamborghini where you each get your own little station about 20 feet away and you put it on. And each one's getting the guys are wearing leather, leather aprons. And I dropped the Tic Tac and was attempted to eat it off the floor. And to my wife said, well, no, it's not that clean. But no, it's not Lamborghini <laughs> where they make four and a half a day. <laughs> right. And, and unlike so many jobs like our own guys, I uh, can't do it from home. No. Dow's up 40 <laughs> points. We're back after no. a short break. A couple of months ago, uh, Jim came up with the Kramer COVID-19 index. And you can see how it's done over just two months, uh, more than 41%. For any story related to that index and all the stocks in it, you can always go to CNBC.com. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. 
When you're trying to dump inventory, uh, there's one place to do it. You go to TJX. They buy it from you for nothing, and they mark it up little, and they make a lot of money. This morning, TJX uh, put out negative numbers, as we know, because most of the places were closed. They're reopening, and where their stores are reopening, they have now told us that they have seen very strong sales. And those three words can send any stock higher. Uh, my Chapel Star Stones TJX has been a tough thing to own lately until now, and I think it's still a big buy given the fact that all of the retailers that are in trouble are going to look to them for cash. Interesting, Jim. You know, that chart, you look at it, and it's clearly not a V, uh, but it might be the uh, half of a U here. I mean, it uh, certainly reflects settling in at lower levels than before. Yes, it does. And I think that because there's still a lot of stores that are closed, they did suspend the dividend. Uh, the one thing I, I, I like about TGX uh, literally is is that this is the pick of the litter moment. I mean, Target even had terrible apparel numbers in the first two months, Carl. I mean, and they had to get rid of that inventory. And that's good inventory. And TJX can take the non-branded or whatever. I mean, you know, every one of these stores, you hear that the, there was so much apparel, apparel in the month of March. And they can just take what they want. And people go to TJX and they don't care that it was March, March's apparel at some fancy store. So uh, beware, they got the right, they have, they have the right merchandise, which is going to take the stock higher. Yeah, interesting. Um, so what, how about tonight? Well, we got to talk to Brian Cornell. I thought Target's quarter was great. Uh, there's a lot of naysayers out there thinking that he doesn't have the gross margins. Hey, they said that at 106. Take two, his stock is down despite the best, uh, one, a, a shockingly great quarter, because there was, you know, Strauss is not promotional. He said, look, this may not continue forever. And I guess people wanted to say it will continue forever. And then the cashier this is uh, this may be the Palo Alto breakout quarter. I'm waiting because I know that he's gunning for crowd strike. And maybe he can pull it off. He's a smart guy. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.